Bruce Larson, UPC's senior pastor from 1980 to 1990, passed away on December 15th. In honor of him, we're posting several of his sermons from his years at UPC. A beloved pastor and friend, Reverend Larson impacted countless lives, and his legacy of books and sermons will continue to share his wisdom and love. You may have thought that this was just Valentine's Day. Well, did you know that this is World Mission Sunday? This is Criminal Justice Sunday, and this is Brotherhood Week. But let's just settle for Valentine's Day, shall we? And I, <laughs> Amen, brother. And I agree. And I want to read you God's Valentine for you and for me today. Luke 17. Hear God's Valentine of love. Follow with me, if you will, in your pew Bibles or the Bible you brought from home. And Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to him by whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this sycamine tree, be rooted up and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and gird yourself and serve me till I eat and drink and afterward you shall eat and drink? Does he think the servant, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded so you also, when you have done all that is commanded, you say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then said Jesus, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we thank you that you are life and have the words of eternal life. Speak them now to us, that we might be everything you imagined us to be, even before we were conceived, even before our birth, that we might be everything you had in mind when you first thought of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just warn you that there is not a sermon I have preached in the last six months that has more excited me because this one has changed my life. As I took my study leave and prepared to preach for the year, this is the one that God most needed to give to me 
Now, some of you have known this for a long time. Some of you are slow learners like me, and I share this with you, one of God's great secrets. A psychiatrist uh, received a postcard from one of his patients. It said, having a wonderful time. Why? The thing I want you to consider is, what kind of a time are we supposed to have? What does God want us to be like in our time? Well, those who are our Presbyterian forebears, who drew up that great, marvelous document, the Westminster Confession of Faith, said in the first question of the Catechism, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is not to work your tail off. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? Dr. Luke, of course, of the four gospel writers, the physician, the clinician, is the one concerned, and he has given us here, I think, God's good news to us in Jesus. Jesus here suggests that there are three very different levels of life. God wants you and me to live on all three levels. The first is obvious. The first is the level of simply forgiveness. Jesus says, listen, offenses, temptations to sin will come to you. I promise you this week you will have many reasons to be offended, to be tempted. I promise you life is like that. You can't avoid that. Jesus says, don't you be the one by whom they come, but they will come to you. All right, that's, that's the way life is. Don't be the offender. You're worse to be, have a, have a millstone hung around your neck. Now, if someone sins, no sin is private. If you see somebody sinning that you love or know or work with, rebuke him or her. He said, because anybody who sins or tempts or gives an offense causes the whole body of life to be hurt. So we have an obligation to help people. Now, this is, uh, then he says, if somebody comes to you who has offended you seven times in the same day, and you have some people in your office like that, don't you? or your neighborhood, or your family. If the same person comes seven times and says, I'm sorry, he says, you forgive them seven times. When the disciples heard this, they said, oh, Lord, increase our faith. Can't do that. And then what happens? He pulls rank on them. He says, listen, you don't need more faith. If you had as much faith as a little tiny mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, which was a sycamine tree was, a mulberry tree, whom the rabbi said this root system was so involved, it will la- the root system of a mulberry tree will last 600 years. He said, you could say to this mulberry tree, get up, be in the sea, it would go. You don't need a lot of faith for this. But I'm telling you, as your Lord, I pull rank on you. You are my slaves. That's what a servant, there were no servants, there were only slaves. He said, you are my slaves, and I command you to forgive that same person seven times every day on into infinity. Why? He pulls rank like, like you as a parent have done, or your parents did to you. You're out in a boat, and you're a little kid, and your parents say, wear your life jacket. Oh, I don't want to wear my life. You wear your life jacket. Why? Because the parent hates you? Because the parent says, listen, I love you so much. Don't argue. Put on your life jacket. He says, you forgive seven times in a day, every day if you have to. Why? Because... Forgiveness of those who offend you is the key to survival. If we don't forgive, we are dead. It's as simple as that. Uh, the sincerity of the person who comes to you is not the issue. 
If they're playing games, you say, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Never mind. Still forgive them. They are not the issue. Your forgiveness is the issue. Why? Well, the medical knowledge is building up, not just among psychiatrists and therapists. Medically, you doctors tell us that behind so much of our illness, cardiovascular, cancers, arthritis, migraine, are people who cannot forgive people. Non-forgiveness is physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically deadly. So Jesus says, I love you. You won't, you won't survive unless you forgive. So I command you, forgive even seven times in one day the same person. Obvious. Level number two, then, has to do with gratitude. We come now to a different story. We come here to the ten lepers who, who found Jesus. And we find, first of all, a healing. Did you notice here that Jesus did not lay hands on the lepers? He did not say a word or make, make clay and put on them. He simply said, without a word of healing, go and show yourself to the priest, which was the way to prove you were cleansed. Act as if you are healed. He didn't heal them. He said, now you go, assume you're healed. And they did, and of course they were healed. That's one of Jesus' many miracles. I talked to a dear brother and friend of mine last week who was seriously ill a few weeks ago. And he said, uh, he has been healed. And the doctors are amazed. And uh, he went to show himself to the priests, which are our, our doctors are our priests now, you know that. He showed himself to the priest. They said, we can't believe you are so well. How do you account for it? He said, they said, well, we didn't tell you how sick you were because you might have believed it. So they withheld some information and a number of us prayed for this friend. And he is now well to the amazement of the medical priests. Well, this is what Jesus did. Faith is acting as if God were on your side, doing what he would because he loves you and claiming it and living it. So these are they're healed now. One returns, one foreigner, not one of the nine Jews, but a foreigner. Amazing as Samaritans and Jews had lived together. But if you were a leper, you were outcast. Any company you had was desirable. You were totally socially, religiously, physically outcast. So even enemies came together in leper colonies. This colony comes, all ten are healed, and one comes back. And Jesus says to the one who comes back, where are the nine? Did I not heal ten of you? Is he hurt that nobody thanked him? Maybe. Or is he sorrowful that nine people missed the greater good? And then he says, your faith has made you well, not healed. They were all healed. But he says, you are well. You see, forgive gratitude is the key to wellness. Beyond survival, forgiveness is the key to survival. Beyond survival, level two is to begin to be grateful to God for all that you are and have. Be grateful to your fellow man. Be grateful to your family. And gratitude is the key to wellness or wholeness. So what happened? One was made whole. Ten were healed. One was made whole. And Jesus' heart, I'm sure, is broken because of the, the others missed the greater thing. Ingratitude is more serious than leprosy. They were healed of their leprosy, but then were guilty of the sin of ingratitude. And I'm sure it broke our Lord's heart. Last summer, I spent a week as chaplain at Chautauqua out in New York. Present was old Dr. Carl Menninger, who goes there every year, one of the founders of the Menninger Institution there, and one of our great pioneer psychiatrists. He took up the offering, or he presided at the offering on Sunday morning. And this old pioneer psychiatrist said to all of us, he said, in my years as a psychiatrist, let me tell you, he said, that the... Uh, 
The one infallible mark of wholeness in people is a sense of gratitude. When you are grateful and when you give out of your gratitude, you are whole. I have never seen a whole person who was not grateful. It's one of the key ingredients. So he said, therefore, as we take up the offering, I hope you'll all be very well and whole this morning. Express your gratitude. Ingratitude to God or to man is contemptible and very pitiable. You know the old story of a man who turned on his friend and his friend said, How could you do this to me? Didn't I pick you up when you had no job and give you a job, introduce you to my sister? Didn't I bail you out when you were in jail? Haven't I helped you time and time again? The man said, Well, yes, but what have you done for me lately? And we laugh, you see, but people like that are to be pitied, people incapable of gratitude. I love the story of a son who came into his immigrant father's store one day and he said, Dad, he said, how can you handle your business? You've got a cigar box for accounts receivable, a spindle for accounts payable, and your money's in your cash register. He says, how can you know what you're worth? The old man said, son, when I arrived as an immigrant on these shores, all I had was the pants that I'm wearing. He said, now your sister is an art teacher. Your brother is a doctor. You are a CPA. Your mother and I own our house, a car, this store. He said, add that all up and subtract the pants, and there's your profit. <laughs> there's a healthy person who is not worried about jotting to everything. He says, oh, it's wonderful. It's marvelous. You see that the key to understanding Freud's gift to us of psychiatry, psychoanalysis, Basically, if you understand, he says, people are ill because they can't forgive. Who? Mostly you can't forgive your parents. You're mad at what they did or didn't do to you. They smothered you, they manipulated you, or they withheld their love, or they orphaned you, or whatever. And most of us have a struggle with our parents. And if you want to avoid three years of psychoanalysis, you're in trouble, you can't sleep and you're depressed, I give you a simple solution. Forgive your parents and be grateful for them. Whatever your parents were, if you had no parents who were an orphan, if you had mean parents, if you had possessive parents, if you had smothering parents, or if you had great parents, whatever you had, be thankful for them and give God praise. You learn something from them all. Each parent is a blessing. Why? Because you need to bless your parents, to bless them and forgive them. And if you don't, you see, then you're not a well person. Psychiatry knows this. Jesus knew this 2,000 years ago and before. But the same, you see, and the only commandment that has a promise of the Ten Commandments is honor your parents, what? That your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. If you honor your parents, whatever they were, chances are you'll live a long time. It's a healthy way to live, to be grateful, to honor, to give thanks, to bless them. And the same thing is true for you parents. Honor your children. I heard of a mother who, when her son got married, she gave him a list of everything he had cost her for 25 years, all added up. said, son, I want to get the record straight. This is what you cost me. Now, parents who keep track have missed something, and they're sick parents. I love parents who say, son or daughter, you owe us nothing. You have been a gift to your father, to your mother, and me. You owe us nothing. The debt's canceled. You have been a gift to us. These are our healthy people. Same is true. Can you bless and forgive your ex-spouse, your ex-boss, your ex-roommate, your ex-partner in business who betrayed you? Thank God for what you learned from those people. Bless them for your sake. Be grateful and bless them and move on. Now, we come to level three.
The first one, forgiveness is for survival. The second one, um, gratitude is for wholeness. You can't be a whole person unless you're grateful, give, give thanks. The third level is praise. He came back praising God, this leper. Now, he still had serious problems. He'd lost his family, he'd lost his business, he'd lost everything. All he was was simply over his leprosy. He had enormous problems, but he's praising God in the middle of his problems, having only been healed of leprosy. And I'm convinced, friends, my family, that the key to power and the key to joy, the key to being able to glorify God and enjoy him forever is caught up in this whole mystery of praise. Praise God in the middle of your problems, as the leper did. Let me read you three verses that would bear this out, three of many, many verses. Ephesians 5.20 Always and for everything giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18 Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In Romans 8.28, we know that in everything, God works for good with those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Over and over again, the the emphasis comes. What does it mean to begin to praise God in a problem that you now have? You all have a problem right now, one that you brought to church with you. And I'm suggesting that for me, this is a new way to live, to praise God in your problem. What does it mean? First of all, It does not say there is no sin or pain in the world. We are not Christian scientists who say there is no sin. There's no pain, no illness. We say, no, sin abounds, pain abounds, inequities, hurt exists. Secondly, it does not say that to be in a problem full of pain is fun. If you like it, you're a masochist, you've got serious problems. It doesn't say you enjoy your problems. Third, it does not say that God sent you your problems. If you are ill, God did not make you sick. If you are in pain or loneliness, God didn't do this to you. It does not make him the source of our problems or pain. The fourth thing it does is it says God can use anything that has come to us. He is bigger than the problem. So in the problem right now, we praise God that he is bigger than the thing that's happening to us that is so painful right now. Let me read you some historical examples of people who've seen this. William Law, one of the great 18th century Uh, theologians and preachers, says, if anyone could tell you the shortest, surest way to all happiness and perfection, he must tell you to make it a rule to yourself to thank and praise God for everything that happens to you. For it is certain that whatever seeming calamity happens to you, if you thank and praise God for it, you turn it into a blessing. Helen Keller, you know, blind and deaf, said, I thank God for my handicaps. For through them I have found myself, my work, and my God. And John Wesley, great revivalist, founder of the Methodist Church, said, Thanksgiving is inseparable from true prayer. It is almost essentially connected with it. He that always prays is ever giving praise, whether in ease or pain, both for prosperity and for the greatest adversity. Well... Some years ago, I read, as maybe you did, a book by Merlin Crothers, From Prison to Praise. And I thought, what shallow theology. Didn't like the man at all. Read this book where he says, praise God in all things. Well, I've got to say to you that I was wrong. Whether you and I happen to like the personality of Merlin Crothers or his literary style, 
I'm here to say to you what he writes is true. It's biblical. What he said I needed to hear. He tells in there the story where where God caught his attention. He was a chaplain in the army. An army wife came to see him and said, My husband has become a serious alcoholic. Two or three nights a week, he crawls around the floor, passes out, and occasionally down the hall in front of a neighbor's door. And I'm worried, Chaplain, I will do anything you say, only don't make me go back and live with him. But he heard in that some kind of a plea that said, I really love this man. He said, let me ask you, do you believe in God? And Jesus, she said, yes. He said, will you thank God and praise God for your husband's problem? Do you think God is big enough to have allowed this? She said, yes. And they thanked God on their knees and praised God for her husband's problem. Two weeks later, she called the chaplain and said, chaplain, thank you for talking to my husband. He has not had a drink in two weeks. He is sober. He is the man I once married. He is a delight to live with. He said, I never met your husband. You didn't? Didn't you straighten him out? He said, no, I'm eager to meet him. Now, what happened when she began to praise God for her husband? Well, you say psychologically, she decaffected his problem. For once, he found unconditioned love. Uh, for once, he didn't have to be a naughty boy proving something to mom. Who knows? The point is, it works. And Jesus says, when you have an in- insuperable problem, praise God, and you begin to release power. Who cares if you can analyze the power? The power is there. Well, for me, I had a serious problem. Some of my friends were praying about it this summer. A problem I had caused. A problem of my own stupidity, dishonesty, dumbness, and it was just giving me great pain. I caused it. And as I prepared this sermon, God convicted me, and I said, God, I'm going to praise you in the middle of this problem. You know what happened? The first thing was I began to sleep every night. I was at peace. The next thing I knew, the problem was solved. So I'm here to stand before you and say, God releases power when we praise God in the midst of our own stupidity or pain or hurt. Now, there are two kinds of faith. There's the kind of faith prayer that says, because you believe in the Lord, oh, Lord, don't let it happen. You believe and you pray. I'm not sure it does much good. Then there's the kind that says, Lord, it hurts terribly. I caused it or somebody else caused it. doesn't matter. But Lord, right now I praise you that you are bigger than this problem. Lord, I praise your name. And that prayer seems to be a releasing prayer that allows God to work. Now, I would like to ask for some volunteers this morning. Some of you have known this secret for a long time. You told me about it. I've discovered this secret for six months, the power of praise, the third level of life. I would like to have a number of you covenant to try praising God in all circumstances for 30 days and make a public covenant that you'll try this and then write to me and tell me the results and I'll tell the rest of you what we found out. Is God really saying this to us? Now, how many of you would would covenant with me for 30 days to try this if you've not done this before? Would you put your hand up? Let me see. Beautiful. Marvelous. I'll try to answer all those letters. <laughs> okay. Now, you've made a public covenant to try this in all circumstances for 30 days. Let's see if God is not giving us a fantastic new way to go beyond survival, to go beyond wholeness, into joy and into power that we can release through us into society. God bless you for that. Now, our closing hymn is Praise Ye the Lord, number one.